The rest of us, if you would, uh, turn in your scriptures to John uh, chapter 20. I'm going to be reading two sections of scriptures uh, here this morning, but the bulk of it will come from John chapter 20. If you've been with us through the Lenten season, you'll know that we've been looking at the, the last words of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. And we've seen the, the significance and the power uh, of each one of those words that he uttered while during the crucifixion. But one of the things that we've noticed is they aren't really Jesus's last words. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Jesus's first words, his first words after a new day had dawned, the day of Easter. So I'm gonna begin by reading John chapter 20, uh, verses uh, 11 through 18, and then I'm gonna skip over to two verses in the Gospel of Matthew. This is God's word. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have lain him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And now a section from Matthew 28, verses 9 to 10. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of Easter. Thank you for the life that is springing from the ground all around us, reminding us that life, true eternal life, only springs from a relationship with you made possible by your death on Friday and your resurrection on Sunday. May the power of that gospel message be made real in our hearts this morning as we encounter you in your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Our passage this morning presents us with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the, the final moments of Christ's life, the final days, we see him crucified on Friday, but we see him rising from the dead on Sunday. We could talk for a while about the, the theological significance of what was happening in those final days of Christ's life and, of course, the resurrection on Sunday morning. But what's important for us this morning, this Easter, 
is what it means to us personally. So what I wanna do this morning is talk to you, talk to us about what it means to personally encounter the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think the first thing that we see as we personally encounter the resurrection of Jesus is that the resurrection does all sorts of things to us, but principally it dispels fear. The resurrection of Christ dispels fear. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. In Matthew and Mark's account of the first moments of the resurrection, they tell us that the women went to the grave attending to the body of Jesus Christ. But when they arrive to their surprise, they see that the tomb is empty, that it is empty. They were there before the sun had come up and When they arrived, the stone had been rolled away from the mouth of the grave. And as they enter into this grave, they are greeted by an angel. And that angel says to them, do not be afraid. When the disciples, as we read this morning, first encountered Jesus, Matthew tells us that Jesus says the very same thing to them. He says, do not be afraid. Well, a good question to ask is, what were they afraid of? What were the women afraid of? What were the disciples afraid of? Well, they were probably afraid because they had followed Jesus. They'd wondered, maybe they were the next ones to suffer the same faith faith that Jesus had suffered. Perhaps the Jews and the Romans were gonna conspire to kill them as well. And so they probably felt fearful and certainly very vulnerable. They were probably afraid because they were full of doubts. In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus' disciples, those that were around him after he died, they were full of doubts. Maybe they were afraid because they had encountered a couple of angels. And anytime in the scriptures you see someone encountering an angel, that evoked fear in their hearts. But perhaps they were even a little bit afraid of Jesus. Probably not all of them were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so many of them had never seen a resurrection before, but now Jesus is standing before them. And so if there was any doubt before about who Jesus was and who he claimed to be, that was dispelled at the sight of his resurrection body. And so no doubt all these things conspired together to make them afraid. And that's why Jesus says to them, Do not be afraid. So a question I want us to ask this morning is this. What are you afraid of? What are the fears that may grip your heart at this moment on this Easter Sunday? When I was a kid, I was afraid of all sorts of things. I was afraid of severe storms and I used to cry when severe storms came. At times I was afraid of the dark. At times I was afraid that I would be separated from my parents, but eventually I grew out of those things. I don't fear, I'm not fearful of those things anymore. When I was a teenager, I was afraid of other things. What if I don't fit in? What if I don't find a, a group of friends that I feel like I can belong in? When graduating college came, that brought all sorts of other fears. What if I don't find a job? What if I don't establish myself in my career or make a lot of money? 
But really all of those fears up until that point were just simply selfish fears, fears about myself. And then of course I got married and I had kids and those selfish fears were replaced with different fears. What will I do if my kids get sick? What if I somehow screw them up through my shoddy parenting? What if I don't do a good job as their father? Or what would happen to them if I had to leave them behind? So what it reminds us is that every stage in life brings new fears. But also every situation that life presents us as well brings with it a certain amount of fears. And our time today is no different. David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, um, decided he wanted to write an article about how his readers were feeling. And so he asked his readers to write in or to text in to tell them uh, how they were feeling in light of the recent crisis our world is going through. And he chronicles all of their responses in an article that was released in the New York Times this week. And the title says it all, The Pandemic of Fear and Agony. One of my old professors, uh, Carl Truman, he also wrote an article this week in a journal called First Things. And he said that the real panic behind this COVID-19 outbreak has little to do with the virus itself. Instead, people are having to face the reality of death, a reality that we often insulate ourselves from. He writes this, Modern Western culture has tried valiantly to domesticate and marginalize death. And so the levels of general panic that we see today indicate that few of us have properly prepared for the reality of our own mortality. Let's face it, friends, most of us are afraid of death. Most of us don't like to spend time thinking or being confronted with our own mortality. We don't like to confront the death of ourselves and certainly the death of loved ones as well. And yet, and yet on Easter, we are confronted with the resurrected Christ. We are confronted with one who beat death. We are confronted with one who says to us, do not be afraid. You see the resurrection, it dispels fear. And you might be wondering, well, how does it do that? How does it accomplish that? How does the resurrection take my fears away? Well, 1 John chapter four tells us, it tells us that, that the resurrection dispels fear through love. 1 John 4 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Love, love is the thing that casts out fear. It, it throws it out with the garbage. Love kicks fear out of the house. And when we think about that, we think that seems almost too good to be true, that love could be so powerful that it could kick out fear. But as Huey Lewis was fond of saying, that is the power of love. So the first personal thing we see about the resurrection is that it dispels fear. But the second thing that we see is that the resurrection has the power to change lives. The resurrection, 
It changes lives. In verse 16 of the John passage that we read, it says this, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Now, I've often thought that there are too many Marys that are in the gospel. It makes it hard to keep them all straight. Which Mary is this talking about? Well, this Mary that we read about this morning uh, was from a little village called uh, Magdala. It was on the shores of the seas of the Sea of Galilee. And we know her as Mary Magdalene. We actually don't know a whole lot about her. We know what Luke tells us, that in Luke chapter eight, it says that Jesus made a practice of traveling from town to town. And as he traveled from town to town, he healed people of their evil spirits and of their diseases. And one of those women was this woman, Mary Magdalene, of whom it says seven demons were cast out of her by Jesus Christ. Now that fact about her life probably meant that she would bear the physical marks of those circumstances upon her body. Most likely she was considered an outcast of, from her society because of her story. But John tells us that after she had met Jesus, her life was changed and she followed him to the end. In fact, John tells us that Mary was one of those who stood at the foot of the cross. One that had remained with Jesus until the very end, until he had breathed his last breath. And here in our passage, we see that at the very first opportunity, most likely before the sun had even risen into the sky, she is at the grave of Jesus to attend to his body. No doubt at the grave, and our passage tells us this, Mary was an absolute mess. It says to us multiple times that she was weeping uncontrollably at the thought of Jesus being dead. In fact, she had wept so much that she couldn't even recognize Jesus through all the tears that were streaming from her eyes that, morn that morning. But then she heard the voice. And that voice was unmistakable. Jesus, the one who had changed her life in so many ways, he was not dead, but he was alive. And so all those years that she had spent following Jesus, they weren't a waste. She hadn't hitched her star to a light that was eventually about to burn out. This Jesus, the one who had changed her life, wasn't finished changing her life. The work of God was ongoing. You see, friends, Jesus is in the business of dispelling fear, but he is also in the business of changing lives. Have you ever tried to change yourself? It could be really hard. There have been times where I've wanted to change something about myself, even something that's really small. And I make that commitment to change myself. And then just two, three days later, sometimes two or three hours later, I've already failed in what I tried to change. Maybe that's you, that certainly is me. But in those moments, we come to realize that it really is a hard thing to change stuff about our lives. Well, the gospel agrees with that thought. 
the gospel tells us that we are fundamentally unable, incapable about changing the most important things in our lives. Sin has done that to us. Sin has left us powerless, unable to change or to save ourselves. And what the gospel tells us is that is exactly why Jesus came. He came to change Mary Mary Magdalene's life, freeing her from her own personal hell, from her own personal bondage. And the gospel tells us that he came to change your life as well, to free you from the bondage of sin and death. And the resurrection proves to us that Jesus has the power to do it. He has the power to change lives. And so the resurrection, it dispels fear. It changes lives. Finally, what the resurrection does for us personally is that it brings to us belonging. Look at verse 17 in the John passage. It says this, Jesus said to her, he said to Mary, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to your brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and to your God. Now, there's a lot of mystery in this passage. There's a lot of questions about it. Why didn't Jesus want Mary to embrace him in that moment? And we don't know a whole lot of the answers to all of those questions, but we can't miss what Jesus says here. We have to to note what he says. He says, I am ascending to my father and my God, but there's more to it. Jesus says this. He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. You see, because Jesus changes lives, this God can be your God. This father can be your father. What the gospel tells us is if we place our faith in Jesus, if we have our lives changed, just as Mary's life was changed, we become enfolded into the family of God. We become sons and daughters of the King. We are adopted, we are chosen, we are loved by God. In short, we find a place to belong. You see, that's important because we were God's enemies. We had rebelled against him in our sin. And because of that, we are estranged from our only true home. We are cast about, longing to go home, but powerless to find our way home. And that is why Jesus came. He came to cast out fear. He came to change lives. He came to guide us home. He came so that we can belong. You see, he becomes our God. He becomes our father. Catch the the personal pronouns that are there. He becomes ours because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus loved us to the end, we can find our spiritual home. And so what does the resurrection mean to us personally? The resurrection, it dispels our fears. The resurrection changes our lives. The resurrection brings us belonging.
The gospel writer John, at the very end of his gospel, after telling all these stories about Jesus and making note that there are many more stories about Jesus that that don't even get included. But at the very end of the gospel, he tells us why he wrote this beautiful masterpiece that we have. He says this. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He told us the very same thing at the beginning of his gospel when he says this, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So friend, let me ask you this. Are you fearful? Jesus's love casts out fear. Do you need a life change? Do you need your life to change? Because only Jesus has the power to change us to our core and to rewrite our story. And finally, do you need to come home? Do you need to come home? Do you need to belong? Only Jesus can truly show us the way home. Let's pray.